If you all would, please just bow your heads and let's open up with a word of prayer. Jesus, we come to you admitting our own imperfections. As we start off this worship service, just recognizing that we come in with burdens, with weights upon our shoulders. And yet we still sing in our belief that you are the same God. The same God we read of in Scripture, the same God who moves mountains and splits Red Seas, and we're asking you to once again do that in us as we recognize that we are available. And so as our attention is now drawn to your word, please open our ears and open our eyes to see you, to walk away this morning encouraged, to know that we are not alone, that we are loved, and to know that you are a God capable of extraordinary things and you want to do great things in us and through us and for us, all for, ultimately, Jesus. And so we say that we are available. And personally for myself, I ask that right now that your Holy Spirit would just speak through me and that you might fill us up as your people to go out and do good things for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. One of the first jobs I ever worked was this uh, NASCAR speed park was the place. And it, I was a track attendant. And I thought it was going to be a really cool job because I was like, man, this would be awesome. I get to ride go-karts all day and get paid for it. That was not the case. Um, never really got to ride any go-karts. Most of my time was running around, fixing emergencies, taking care of those who uh, wanted different things, helping those who got in wrecks, um, dealing with people who were just angry over the fact that they had to wait so long in line to get what they wanted, and you're never making anybody happy. So naturally, after that, I became a pastor, right? So uh, <laughs> that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. It's not like that at all. Um, but... <laughs> I had this guy, yeah, that was, uh, that was not planned at all. Um, anyways, there was this guy I worked with. His name was Tyler. Um, Tyler was about the age that I am now. And, and Tyler opened up with me as we're working together um, on this track. He started opening up about his own life. He had um, dealt with some substance abuse issues, um, some father issues. Um, he felt so very alone. Um, and, and he was very skeptical about Jesus and the whole church and things like that. But he had just found out that his girlfriend was pregnant and it had him questioning so much. And he, he came to this conclusion as we're talking. He's like, I need to be a better man. My father was terrible to me. I need to be a better man. I need to do better. And he had such inspiration. He stopped and he's like, I need to get back into church. And he was open. He's like, I don't know if I fully believe this. I don't know if I, if I fully bought into all this. But he recognized that he needed something in his life that was going to help him to grow into becoming a better person. Because at the end of the day, he, he looked at himself. And he's like, I need to be a better person. I need to grow. And I think that's something that's true for all of us. Whether you are a Jesus follower or not, that at the end of the day, you all want to grow as an individual. Or something in your life that you want to see grow. It could be your finances. It could be your career. It could be uh, your family life, your home life, whatever it is. I imagine that there's something in your life that you want to grow because there's a part of you that believes that if this grows, it will become the best version that it was meant to be. I mean, that's why we do our, our education the way we do it. 
That's why we send kids off to college. That's why we continue to educate ourselves in our careers. That's why we do so much of what we do, because we want to grow and to become the best versions of ourselves. But this brings about the question that we want to wrestle with this morning, a question that whether you are a Jesus follower or not, that you can relate to because you probably have asked this of yourself. And it's this question, how do we grow into the best versions of ourselves? Well, I'm going to propose with you that there was this guy named Paul who a long time ago wrote a little bit of wisdom for us on this matter. Now, there's a lot of answers to this. This is a huge, complex issue. But we're just going to look at one little bit of wisdom that might help us to move the needle a little bit more into becoming the best versions of ourselves, the people that I believe that God had always wanted us to be. Now, I will go ahead and say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, much of this conversation is going to be about Jesus. And I don't want to pressure you. I don't want to discourage you. Look, I love talking about Jesus. This is what I'm most passionate about. But I'm all right if you are still skeptical, if you have questions, if you haven't fully bought in. That's okay because here's what I believe about what we're looking at today. Is that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that there's something for you today that would be of great encouragement to you that will help you to have better relationships in your life and better life overall when you learn this little bit of wisdom that we're going to be diving into. All right? So we pick up in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is important to know that the first three chapters of Ephesians was all about pointing out the story of God, of what God has done through history in Jesus, how everything was about Jesus, everything was leading to Jesus, and everything looking back is about Jesus, how this Jesus God has presented as the king of the world, how this Jesus is bringing together a family of imperfect people, that he's forgiving of their sins, that he's bringing them together when they trust in him, that it's a family made up of people who by all means should not be in unity with one another, should not like one another, should not live amongst one another, and yet because of Jesus they're being brought together, right? And in chapter 4 he transitions, Paul transitions to talk about what do we do now in this family, right? How do we live and take what the gifts that God has given us, this blessing, and how do we cultivate it? How do we make something of it? How do we take what God's given us and say, God, thank you so much. I'm grateful for this. Now show me how I live in light of what you've done, right? And so that's why I say that for us as a, a Jesus followers, much of this text is going to talk about how we live as the followers of Jesus in community with one another in a faith community, right? But once again, the lessons here can apply to anyone else, right? So looking at this, Paul begins after laying out all that he's talked about. In verse 7, he opens up that talking about this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right Now, remember, Paul has been trying to teach us about the importance of what we have as followers of Jesus, that God has given us this calling. He's called us into this family. And here's the mind-blowing thing, is how he talks about how we're part of this family, that it's a gift of God, right? And that's mind-blowing if you think about the context of Paul's day that's still very similar to our day. Like, he's not saying, hey, guess what? You were born into this family of being part of the Messiah's people, right? Like, that's how the Jews thought that they were the family of God because they were born into the lineage, right? He's like, you're, you're not part of the family of God because you've been born into it, so it's not because your mommy and daddy was a Christian, therefore you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying. Neither is it that you bought your way in, you paid your taxes, you did enough good deeds, you helped enough old ladies cross the street, which, by the way, I've never once seen an old lady on the corner of the street waiting for someone to help her across the street. So if that was the mark, I I have failed that, right? Um, But he's saying, basically, you're not the followers, you're not the, the people of the Messiah because of these things. No, you are because of your trust in Jesus 
that you trust that he's the Messiah, that he's measured up, that he's done what's necessary, and now you're part of his family because you've surrendered to him. This is something completely mind-blowing, and maybe for some of you, that's the only thing you need to hear today because you've lived your life thinking you're not good enough to be in, that you haven't done enough, that God has just passed up on you. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I'm a Christian because uh, I've been to church my whole life and because my parents were Christian and their parents were Christian and so on and so on and so on, so I'm good. Maybe that might be you. And right now what you need to know is that's not the mark either. It's about a trust in Jesus. And Paul is saying that God has given us in this trust, this gifting, this grace that has been poured upon us, that Jesus gives various giftings to his people as part of the great story of what he has achieved. So every one of us who follows Jesus have received God's grace for the purpose that we would then in turn give it to others, which is completely mind-blowing if you think about it, right? Because we look at that and we're like, oh, that's great, and all we move on. But if you sit there and chew on that, you know what comes to your mind is, wow. We're talking about the God who created the world The God who died for my sins. The God who has done everything we've seen him do in chapters 1 through 3. And he's calling me. He's offering gifts and grace to me. Like this is mind-blowing because if you think about this Jesus, he's not really in dire need of us. Like look, he he did all this and he's not like, oh, well, I can't move forward, I guess. Like, I, I, I split the Red Sea, and, and I fed thousands of people and when he was walking the earth, and, and I've done all these things, and I, I died for their sins, but you know, I'm just done, right? But no, here's this God who wants us, right? Like, that's awesome to think about, that this God, he looks at us and he's like, you know what, you're not as special as you like to think you are, but I want you. I want you. And I want to do things through you. Things that give Jesus glory. Like that that should blow you away. That the God whose attention we should not have is so deeply in love with us. And says, you know what? I'm going to give you everything you need to do the things that I want you to do. To get the results that I want to see achieved in you. Like, and that's amazing because oftentimes, like, let's be honest, if we were Jesus, how would you want to show the world that you're Jesus, right? You'd probably want to plaster it up in the sky, open the skies. And, you're, and how many of you are like, God, why don't you just do that? Like, why can't you just put a sign in the sky that says Jesus is God, right? Like, uh, come on, I can't be the only one who's ever thought that, right? Okay, we got one other honest person, right? But here's the awesome thing. Jesus could do that, and instead he's like, you know what, I'm going to take things slower. I'm going to take things that are a lot messier and a lot more flawed sometimes. I'm going to move my kingdom forward through imperfect people. Through you. And you. And you. And you. Who have a trust in Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at right here. That Jesus gives each of us for his mission of grace and redemption. And that should be really encouraging because that means that Jesus cares much more than just that we get to heaven and all. He's not like, hey guys, you know what? You, you said you believe me and all that good, you're going to heaven. Let me move on to the next person, right? That's not Jesus. No, instead he's like, okay, that's great. We begin this relationship. I want to do something in this relationship in your life. I want to give you what you need 
to be the best version of yourself. And here's one thing that God gives us to help us be the best versions of ourselves. We see it in verse 11, and you might have differing opinions on this based on your background upbringing, but here's what Paul says. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. All right, several things here. One, that's not an exhaustive list. So he's like, well, that's all that God gave, all right? Uh, no, because there's no mention of like youth pastors and children's pastors and elders. He's basically giving a quick summary saying, God has given leaders in the church. And the leaders in the church, God has entrusted leaders in the church to take care of God's people. Like this is what God is giving. He's like, hey, I want you to be the best for yourself and I'm gonna give you grace. I'm gonna give you gifts and I'm gonna give you people in your life who are gonna help foster this, who are gonna come alongside you, who are gonna help take care of you. And that becomes clear when you look at what Paul says that these leaders are supposed to do. And this might surprise you, okay? Here's what he says in verse 12. To equip the saints. All right, let's ask the question that we're all thinking. Well, who are the saints, right? Like that sounds like some perfect people who never had a struggle with a bad day or never had a struggle to get their kids to school or to church or never had a fight with their spouse that they regret or never, you know, cheated or lied somewhere. That sounds like someone who just floats on clouds and everything is great and they got rainbows coming out of their mouths, right? Like, I don't know. Right, that might have been a little bit too far. But that's oftentimes what we think of when we hear the word saints, right? We think of everyone except us. And if that is you, then you're wrong in your interpretation. Because when Paul uses the word saints, get this. He's referring to those who have trust in Jesus. That's what a saint is to Paul. And you see that throughout all of his letters when he keeps referring to saints. It's not to perfect people. It's not to people who you look at and you're like, man, they did a grand thing. They've changed the world and therefore I'm not a saint because I'm not like them. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you have trust in Jesus, therefore you're a saint. And he says that God has given leaders to equip the saints. Well, to equip them for what? Is it to just sit there and pretend to be listening to a sermon and then go off because you're just here to flatter an ego of some pastor? No. Here's what... The leaders in the church are called to do, to equip the saints to do this. Here's in verse 12. Here's basically my job description and Dave's job description and the elder's job description. Here it is. Verse 12. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I have this pastor friend who likes to say all the time that a call into ministry is a call out of ministry. And what he would say to this in light of Ephesians 4, and this, I totally agree with him, is that it's not the pastor's job to do all the work in the church. The pastor's job is to come alongside people, to encourage them, to comfort them, to support them, to be their biggest cheerleader. Because I'm not in the places that you're in. I'm not in the schools that you're in. I'm not working in the factories that you're in. I'm not working with the coworkers you're working in. I'm not in the families that you're working in. You are. And God has put you in the space that you're in for his purposes and his reasons. And my job is to do everything I can to encourage you in those spaces to look like Jesus. That's what the pastor does. In some churches, the pastor is, it's all about, you know, make the pastor famous. Let's flatter him. Let's puff him up, right? That's not the kind of church we want to be because I don't care about that at all. My biggest concern more and more lately is I want you to know that you are not alone, that you are loved, because I see so many people destroy their lives when they feel like they're alone and when they feel like they're unloved. And so my heart is in line with this, and I know our elders are the same way, 
that we want you to be encouraged to be the best person or the best version of yourself that you're called to be because Jesus gives leaders to the church to help others be the best versions of themselves. And for this reason right here, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the end view here of why God gives us grace and why he calls us to then give grace out to others and why he gives us leaders to help encourage us, to equip us to do that very thing is so that we, get this, would look like Jesus, right? Because if we recognize that Jesus was the epitome of what humanity was supposed to be, then we should recognize that the best version of ourselves look like Jesus. And that God is on a mission to making us look more like Jesus. Which is a simple encouragement here if you're ever wondering, like, God, what are you doing in my life? What he's doing in your life is using whatever situation that's going on to help you look a little bit more like Jesus. Or he's giving you the opportunity to look like Jesus in that moment. That's what God is doing all the time. I'm confident in it. Because when we look like Jesus... We make Jesus famous. And remember, as followers of Jesus, we exist to make Jesus famous because it's all about him, right? And this is what we are called to do. This is what the leaders in the church are called to equip us to do. This is what we ourselves are supposed to do with the grace that God has given us. And Paul says in verse 14 that this is important so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And let's be honest here. We have all at some point in our lives been taken for a lie, right? Like some of you, like you bought into something or you invested in something. You're like, man, I got fooled there. I got deceived, right? Like I remember this one time in college. Um, I got contacted by this company who made this big promise that they can make this business dream of mine come true. And all I had to do was invest a whole lot of money in it. And, and I did. And so I poured all this money into what later became known to me as a scam, and it took me about five years to get out of the contract, the scam that I was part of. Um, and it hurt a lot of things. Like it hurt my financial stability in college. Um, it was incredibly embarrassing among friends when they found out about it. Um, and it even hurt um, first year of marriage because I got married at that time frame and Jody had to help me carry this burden of getting out of this contract. And still to this day, not a week goes by that my phone doesn't ring with the same exact scam. Because apparently if you fall for something one time because you had a late night bad decision from watching too many TV and drinking too much Yahoo, you know, uh, Yahoo at late at night or whatever, and you make a bad decision, you get put on this universal call list, right? Um, so not a week goes by that my phone doesn't ring with the same exact scam. But every time it rings, it's a reminder to me of how easily in our isolation, that we can be deceived. How easily we, as fickle human beings, when we don't lean upon one another, we don't encourage one another, we don't look for one another for wisdom and support and all that, how easily we make really bad decisions sometimes. And that's what Paul is saying here. That this gift of grace, as we're in this community, as we're operating together, as we're showing love and humbleness and gentleness and long-suffering and patience, like we talked about last week, that in this, this is for the sake that we might grow into the best versions of ourselves, so that we might avoid some unhealthy decisions and actions in our lives that result in unhealthy consequences, right? That this is about a growth into maturity, into who God has always made us to be. This is a community thing, if you get it, right? Like, you don't grow 
by yourself. It's a community aspect. We're together, we're working on this together to grow into what God would have us to be, right? As, so instead of listening to the lies, hear what Paul uh, says to us in verse 15. So instead of listening to the lies, he says instead, rather speaking the truth in love. The truth here is referred to the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, of who Jesus is, how he died for our sins on the cross, how he rose again, and we speak this to one another. Remember, this is a community thing, right? So lies come in the loneliness and the isolation and by ourselves. That's where the immaturity is. But when we are community together and we're speaking this truth to one another, we grow. Or as Paul says, continuing in verse 15, as we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ right? This is a community thing. This isn't you come in, you sit down very quietly, you don't engage with anybody, and then you leave, and you're perfectly fine with that. Like a church is a body, it's a family, where in turn we're building relationships. Relationships that we encourage one another, we do life with one another, right? Where we are speaking the truth to one another, because in this we have life. Without it, we're vulnerable, We're vulnerable to all sorts of lies similar to the ones I fell through or the deeper ones that say that you're not alone or that you are alone, I mean. Lies that say that that you are loved. No one cares for you. No one has any interest in you. Those are the lies that we counteract by speaking the gospel to one another every time we're together, right? Because the goal of the Christian community is to become increasingly like Christ together as we speak encouragement and love to one another. That happens as we build relationships. That's why we push so much, come and join us for the family meal night so you can build those relationships with one another, right? For Paul tells us in 16, verse 16, about this Jesus, who it's all about, of us coming to go, increasingly get to know and become more like together, that it's from him, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, those of you who are in the medical field will probably appreciate Paul's analogy here. He's talking about like the body works like a you know, human body where there's limbs and ligaments. And, and he talks about this, and I think in letters to the Corinthians, that, that we're like the eye and the ear and the tongue and the, the arms and stuff like that, that we have this function. And the idea here is that we, we're all connected, that we're a source of life to one another, that you are needed just as you need those around you. That's what the imagery is being portrayed here. And Paul's vision for the church is that each follower of Jesus will see themselves as someone who has been given grace by God and doesn't just sit on that, but ask themselves, God, you've given me this grace. How can I in turn use what you've given me, the gifts, the talents, the passions in my life, the opportunities around me, how can I in turn use this to give you honor, to bless someone around me? Look, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know this as well. Like, think of it like this analogy, right? So picture a family of like 10 people and imagine in this crazy household of 10 people, you've got maybe one or two who are doing all the work, all the chores, all the cooking and cleaning, all the errands and stuff like that. And some of you are like, that's already my household, right? You just described me, right? That's not healthy, right? Unless other people are contributing, other people are helping, Right? This is why, parents, when your kids get older, you're like, time for some chores. Time for you to earn your keep, is what my dad used to say. Right? Right? And some of you are like, can you say that again for the teenagers in the room? Some of you wives are saying, can you say this again for the husbands in the room? Right? 
If you're not contributing, right, you can't be healthy. A family can't be its best version of itself unless every member is pouring into one another in some way, serving alongside one another, caring for one another, being there for one another. The same is true for the church. And so if only 20% of us is doing 80% of everything, it's not really healthy, is it? So ask yourself. I'm not saying like everyone needs to serve in Bluff Kids and everyone needs to serve in Bluff Junior. Maybe you do. But I'm asking, how can you pour life into one another? Right? Like if you work in Bluff Junior and Bluff Kids, you hear me say this all the time to you, and you've certainly received letters from me saying this, that you guys are doing tremendous things back there so that young families can have a moment to encounter Jesus. And so if you ever in here like, man, I encountered Jesus today. When you go pick up your kids, thank the workers back there. Don't thank me, right? Thank the workers back there who helped create a space where this could happen, right? This is a beautiful thing when we're all serving together, when we're looking to say, hey, how can I encourage the person next to me? Right? Like how instead of coming to church and saying, God, I'm ready to hear what you're saying, what if you said, came in like, God, would you open my eyes maybe to talk to someone in this room, to hear their story, to show them love? Wow. That would be a family, would it not? That would be a family. See, the point I'm getting at, that Paul is getting at, is very simple. You probably have already been able to guess it, that we are our best versions, our best selves, when we generously use the giftings to love others. We are our best selves when we generously use the giftings, our giftings, to love others. Now, remember when I said beforehand, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can get something from this. And that's true here, right? Because you've experienced this, right? When, when you step into something and you serve someone else selflessly without asking for anything in return, and you did something that you were good at, that you were passionate about, like, did it not feel good? Did it not feel good to be generous with what you built or what you said or what you did? But for a follower of Jesus, it's much richer because we are like this because Jesus was like this to us. We love because he loved us. We protect one another. We encourage one another. We're there for one another because Jesus was there for us. That's the richness for those of you who are followers of Jesus that you get to be part of that story, of recognizing that God has gifted you in some capacity to make him famous, to encourage those around you, to show love to those around you, right? And you have this. Each and every one of us does, right? So allow me to be just have an opportunity here to encourage you, to say something to you that, that maybe you have a hard time telling yourself, maybe you have a hard time believing, maybe you just haven't heard in a long time, right? Here it is. You are fully capable of bringing life and goodness wherever you are. God has gifted you with that grace. It does not take a degree. It does not take a whole lot of training to tell someone, thank you, I see you, I love you, I'm here for you. God has made you fully capable of bringing life and goodness to those around you. All for the fame and glory of Jesus. You can do that. And that's what we need. That's how we grow into our best selves when people do that to us. 
And that's how we continue to grow even more so when we do it unto others. When we take the grace that God has given us and we be generous with it to others. Won't you pray with me? Before I pray, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to encourage you to do something. Put your palms on your hands, palms up towards the ceiling. And I want you to just imagine that holding in your hands, you're holding your life. You're holding every blessing that God has given you, every little ounce of grace. And you just imagine for a moment, God would say to you, I'm so grateful for what I've given you. I want to give you more. Well, I'm going to ask that you would give it out some too. What would that look like for you? Maybe that involves a talent that you have, a passion that you have. I don't know. But I want you just to to mull over that for a moment. Asking God, where can you be generous in giving grace out to others, to let others know that they are loved and be your best self in that moment? Jesus, thank you so much for all that you give us. You call us into a family. You pour grace and mercy upon us. You give us those who are willing to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to support us, to cheer us on, or sometimes to pull us up when we stumble and we make mistakes. You give us so much. And we recognize right now that to be our best selves means that we don't hoard this, we don't cling tightly to it and keep it a secret and keep it to ourselves, but we ask ourselves each and every day, God, how can I be generous with the grace that you've given me? Father, I'm confident that that would do remarkable things in this community. If if the people in this room, if every one of us, and those watching online as well, were to ask themselves that question every day, would start off just in awe each day that today we have been given another blessing for one more day and we don't want to waste an opportunity to show your love and your grace and your mercy. So I'm not asking for opportunities because they're all around us. I'm asking for us to have the eyes to see them, to have the boldness to step into them, and the confidence that you will do great things, that we might come to love these opportunities to be gracious, that we might be eager for them, that we might wake up with an energy in our day saying, God, you've given us another blessing. Now let us use it to make you famous. Because there are those in our lives and our families who need us to be our best selves. And we know we are our best selves when we give back what you have given us. Father, may we be like that in our marriages, in our parenting, in our childhood, 
in our service, in our work, in our church. All for your glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen.